the Lord truly is good to us. I do want to remind you before we look at the word together um, of tonight, communion is at 7 o'clock, and uh, so it's a special time of testifying and singing, a time when we collectively as a church uh, set our minds and thoughts on Christ being offered up for us, uh, and it is a it is a blessed time of, of fellowship in worship, uh, fellowship with our Lord and Savior, and also with one another. It's not some tradition we're supposed to do, or just some tradition the church has done, but it is, it is an act of worship which is established by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He established it, and we are uh, to do it often. We come and have communion, take communion together. So let me just encourage you. Uh, to come tonight at 7 o'clock, and um, we'll look forward to seeing you there. I'll be traveling next weekend, going to a conference. Ed will be uh, preaching next Sunday, and so you can be praying for him and looking forward to that. I know that'll be a blessing for you. It'll be like uh, the old days, right? Kind of? Old days? <laughs> the good old days. We should say that, right? <laughs> Miss the good part. Uh, so uh, he'll be... Uh, preaching next week, and uh, you can look forward to that. Turn your Bibles, if you have them with you, uh, to John chapter number 5. In John chapter 5, we've, if you're visiting with us, we're going through a study uh, through the Gospel of John, and I want to begin reading, pick up reading in verse number 30 and read to the end of the chapter in John 5. <clears throat> Jesus is speaking, I can do nothing on my own as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that his testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth, not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John, for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I'm doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. The Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me, his voice you have never heard his form, you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life, and do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? 
Father, we pray that you would open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things out of your word today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Uh, We are familiar with how easy it is to say something, especially in our day, without giving uh, validation to that or proof to what it is that we're saying. I think uh, uh, look back in our recent political crisis going on with some uh, people in office, we find out it's easy to say a lot of things, but is it true? Is it real? Words are cheap. We can say that. And that's a lesson even children get as they're on the playground and they begin boasting about how fast they are and how strong they are and how high they can jump. And someone in the crowd with all their boldness says to him, yeah, right, prove it. Well, you're kind of put to the test at that point. Can you really outrun everyone and all of that other stuff? We see this idea early on in the Bible. One of the earliest pictures is that found in Exodus. As Moses is called by God out of the burning bush to, uh, to go and deliver the children of Israel from Pharaoh out of Egypt. Moses anticipates the reception of the leaders of Israel, and you find this in chapter 3 of Exodus. And let me just read a little bit of that for you. In verse 13, he says, Then Moses said to God, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What's his name? What shall I say to them? God says, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God furthermore said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is my memorial name to all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel uh, together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has appeared to me saying, I am indeed concerned about you. What has been done to you in Egypt? So Moses has this great declaration. You go tell him, the great I am sent you. That's my name. That's what they shall remember it. And so Moses responds, naturally, what if they don't believe me? Anybody can say God sent me. Anybody can say God spoke to me and and to do this. What if they say they don't believe me? What if they don't listen to me? For they may say the Lord has not appeared to you. God at that point gives him two signs to prove that God had sent him, one, the staff that he carried turned into a serpent, and the second, his hand turning to leprosy, and then coming back out whole as he pulls it back out. And what I bring that up is because Jesus made some bold claims about himself. He, he has said earlier, and we saw last week, uh, that he is equal to the Father. The Father has sent him. Uh, that he has power in himself to give life. All judgment is given to him. He he is pushing back against the legalism of the day. And so we we ask ourselves the question, really what the Pharisees asked him in one place, I think you'll find it in Mark's account, verse number 11, by what authority are you doing all this and saying all these things? What gives you the right to stand up and say what you're saying and do what you're doing? Can he justify the claims that he is making or is he just like all the other would-be messiahs uh, that have come and gone uh, since uh, really the time of Jesus and even before? 
Well, the book of Acts gives us two of these in Acts chapter number 5. No need to turn there. One, Theodos, who drew 400 men after him, claiming to be something, and, and of course that dwindled down and, and come to nothing. Someone come after him named Judas of Galilee, who drew a following, said he was somebody, and, and naturally that kind of uh, fizzled out. And, and one of the Pharisees advised Give the disciples some space and see if this thing about Jesus Christ doesn't just dissolve like the rest of these other men. The challenge is that he was putting for the leaders and the challenge that the people that Jesus is speaking to is that if this is of God, if Jesus truly has been sent by God, you will not be able to overthrow it or else you may be found fighting against God. I heard a statement years ago, and I know I said it before, our arms are way too short to box with God. Is Jesus who he said he was? Is he the real deal? That's the heart of his argument here in chapter number 5 at the end of it. And he gives for us three witnesses to give proof of his ministry of who he is. And each of these should have been obvious to the leaders of his day. And we're going to look at these together. Uh, as we walk through this. Verse number 30 and 31, leading up to the proofs of his ministry, he reminds us on the outset of this that his sole purpose and, and his desire, his, his work and his efforts is to, to not do his own will, but to do the will of his Father. Even his judgment, the justice that he will carry out, will be carried out perfectly and just because he, is not, he, he doesn't have an axe to grind, so to speak, He's doing the Father's will perfectly. Again, he goes on in verse 31. Adding to this, he says, If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. And as if to say that if I'm the only one saying these things and, and, and there's nothing else to back it up, you've got reason to doubt and to be skeptical. If I'm just out here saying God sent me and there's, there's nothing else bearing witness of this, if, if it's just me and my word, uh, then, then there may be reason for the unbelief, but he sets for us that I am not alone. There is others who bear witness about him. And the first of these we find in verse number 32 through verse 35, and that is the testimony of John the Baptist. Look at it with me. Verse 32 says this, There's another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth, not that the testimony that I receive from, is from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. So he sits out for us this what we've already seen throughout our study here for those of you who've been going through this week after week john the baptist we're introduced to him in chapter number one would you just turn back with me It'll be a good reminder for you how far we've come right So the beginning of this, in, in the introduction of John, he's speaking about the word which, uh, which is common, all the attributes about the word, and then he, he turns very quickly to a testimony about the word, a, a witness to the word, one that would 
is to declare or point to him, verse number 6 and 7, there was a man sent from God whose name was John, right? That's not hard, it's not complicated. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. And his testimony, verse number 15 of that same chapter, John bore witness about him and cried out that he... Uh, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because his testimony was before me. John was called by God, created by God, we should say, and, and commissioned by God to prepare the nation of Israel for the coming Messiah. His whole purpose in ministry, his whole purpose in life was to point and bear witness that that there is one coming who was before me whose shoes I'm unworthy to untie or unlatch. There is someone greater than me. You see that as he goes on, as they come and ask, are you the Messiah? And he says, no. So one of John's testimonies was that I'm not the Christ. The second was that there is one among you that's coming to baptize with the Holy Spirit. But the greatest uh, climax of this is found here in verse number 29 as Jesus comes walking along the shore of the Jordan River to be baptized by John the Baptist. Notice, and could you think about John's ministry for a moment? You're preaching you're calling the nation to repentance. You're calling and declaring the sins of the people and tell them to repent and come and be baptized. And, and day after day after day, you're looking through the clouds for that one uh, reminder from God that the Spirit would descend upon him as a dove and he would be the one. And then one day, here he comes. And John cries out, verse number 29, he saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. His declaration was not for Jesus' sake. Going back to chapter number 5, it wasn't so Jesus would realize who he was. It wasn't so Jesus could come to the, to the grips of his own identity. It was a declaration for the people so that the people may know who Jesus is, so that the people in knowing who he is might have eternal life. So God sends him out, John out, and, and to declare this message of salvation, this coming Messiah, and he points everyone to Christ. And, and the reason he brings John up, well, because God sent him out as a witness. But also the people of Jesus' day, the scribes and Pharisees, they all had some kind of revelry in the ministry of John. There was a rejoicing and enduring of that light for a moment. In fact, most of the people... Uh, most of the Jews in Jesus' day, the Bible tells us, believed that John the Baptist had been sent from God. They, they, they understood him to be a prophet and that God would send him. And Jesus is saying, if he was a prophet and God did send him, why didn't you listen to his words? That's essentially what he's saying here. He reminds us that, that he was not just a prophet. In fact, he was the greatest Old Testament prophet. Greatest prophet of the Old Testament, Matthew 11, Jesus speaking to the people. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind. But what did you go out and see? A man dressed in soft clothing. Those who wear soft clothing are in the king's palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet. Yes, I tell you, and one who is more than a prophet. 
This is the one about whom it was written, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, you who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there is not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Jesus telling the people of his day, you want validity, why I'm saying what I'm saying and why you should take what I'm saying true? Well, you found it in the witness of John the Baptist. Behold, the Lamb of God. This is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. This is the Messiah. This is your king, Israel. While they were willing to endure him and rejoice in him, they were also quick to to shut him up and silence him and and to walk away from him. He was a burning, verse number 35, and shining lamp. He was not the light, but he was a lamp. He was, he was there to, to share and show the light, and you, you're willing to endure his voice for a moment. And Jesus says, if you want validation, proof of a minister, you should have paid a list closer attention to what John was saying, especially of those who say that he was a prophet sent from God. But he goes on, doesn't he? He doesn't stop with just the witness of John the Baptist. It would have been enough. God would send his messenger to declare and proclaim uh, who this was and uh, that he has come into the world. It would have been enough. But he says John is not the only witness. Notice in verse number 36. Secondly, he says the testimony about him is his works. The testimony that I have is greater than that of John for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I'm doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. Jesus turns water into wine. We read that earlier on his first sign, the Bible says. We get caught up in the miracle and the how did it happen? Did, did they see it actually changing? Did it go from clear to red? And, or, or how did all that take place? We, we miss the fact that John says these were all neon lights pointing us to something more significant about the man performing them than the act itself. Not to dismiss the miraculous nature of it and, and all that took place and the historical reality of it, but, but they were themselves a testimony, a witness to uh, at least that God's power was working through this man. People just don't turn water to wine. People don't go up to people and say, get up, take your bed and walk. They don't say to dead people or, or sick people that's... that's 18 miles away, he's better now, go home and see him. People don't do that. And yet here, Jesus is saying, are are you so blind you don't see the miraculous nature of what is going on and the ministry and the things that he's doing? Have you missed the forest for the trees? In fact, Jesus, as he is is, uh, preaching Jesus in the gospel in Acts chapter number 2 and the day of Pentecost, he said, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. He did not do, them thing, do these things in private or in secret. Openly testifying, God testifying through these miraculous works and through these events who the son is 
that God was with him more than that that God has sent him at the end of verse number 36. It should have been evident not only because of the witness of John the Baptist, but because lame people were walking and blind people were seeing and leopards were being cleansed and, and dead people were living. And yet in all of these things, they were still blind. They still didn't receive the witness of the Father. More than just the, the works of the miraculous nature, it points to the greater works that he will do, and that is the works of redemption. So we see this supernatural testimony of God sending his son into the world, this powerful and faithful witness of John the Baptist, and they serve as a clear testimony to who he is and why he can say what he says. But Jesus says there's a greater witness than that. How do you get greater than the miraculous works? How do you get greater than John the Baptist? No, no other prophet was ever greater born of woman than John the Baptist. And he says here in verse number 37 and following, that is the word, my father's testimony about me. So we have the witness of John the Baptist. We have the witness of the miraculous works and the works that he has come to do. He has already associated those with the works of the Father. Verse number 37, And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice have you never heard. His form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you. For if you do not believe the one whom he has sent. Now, some suggest here what he's referring to is the time of Jesus' baptism where the audible voice makes that great declaration, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Or the Mount Transfiguration where it is again repeated. And it, and it could mean that. that. That's very possible. A lot of people agree to that. Uh, that is a declaration, an audible uh, declaration of the Father and his approval of the Son, his love of the Son. But I think it's more probable that he's talking here is the voice or the witness of the Father through the Holy Scriptures, through the Old Testament Scriptures, uh, to be an, uh, exact. Now, the Old Testament was considered and is considered, and I, I should say that, uh, God's inspired, infallible word. It was accepted by those in Jesus' day, even these people that he's speaking to. It was, it was accepted by them as God's word. It was not under dispute or scrutiny. That was, that was the understanding of the day. And it is through these Old Testament scriptures that God spoke to the nation of Israel throughout their history in many different ways, we're told. It is through the Old Testament, through our Bible, that God revealed himself and unveils himself, declaring who he is and his character, his nature, and his will and his plan. That's worth saying this. While God can be and is oftentimes, as we see creation around us, actually as always, the, the voice of creation is never silenced to the glory of God the display of his power and his creativity, his wisdom, his beauty. It is only here through special revelation, through his word, that God becomes specifically known. That's very important for us to understand. We know something about God when we look at the world around us, when we look at the creation that he's given to us. 
But if we are to know him, we must enjoy him and know him rightly through the book of his revelation, his, his communicating himself to us. It is here that we've come to understand who he is. This is not new. This was given in their day. It's a reminder that we're not free to invent who God is and create God based upon our own delights and our own whims or intuitions. It is not a construct of our sociological uniformity. We, we just all come together and just kind of mend and, and mix together what we think God is and, and who God is. It's just not how it happens. God is not the product of a think tank or anything else we might desire to come to. If he is, if he exists, if there is a God, then he must be who he is apart from us. And that's what you go back to see in the book of Exodus. He is who he is. And as we come to the word, church, I would just remind you we must let him speak for himself. We must let him speak for himself. Now here, Jesus is asserting to these men in verse number 39 that they had made a diligent search. Notice you search the scriptures. The idea could be taken, go and search the scriptures or you have searched the scriptures. It's probably better understood you have searched the scriptures because in them you think that you have eternal life. And and he says you've missed in all of your study in all of your efforts of knowing the Bible as they knew it, the Old Testament, he says, at the end of the day, you still don't know the Father. And so we ask the question, is it possible to spend a lifetime in the Word of God and still walk away and not know God? Absolutely. The men here in Jesus' day are living examples of it. They were the ones that asked the questions you couldn't get out of and and the unanswerable stuff. And and they knew all the ins and outs and traditions of the fathers. They they were well versed in the Bible. And yet Jesus in his indictment of them and says, In all that you know of the Bible, you have never come to the reality of who God is. You don't know him. In fact, his word, as much as you know it, does not have a place in you, does not live within you, doesn't continue in you. Notice back the verse he says, verse number 37 and 38, And the Father who sent me, he himself bore witness about me. His voice have you never heard, his form have you never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you. It doesn't make its home in you. It's demonstrated by the fact that when someone comes, that is the father sins, doing the very works that the father does, declaring the very words of the father in the same fashion and character of the father that they don't recognize him. And he's saying, don't you see, you don't know God at all. You have his word, you have the Old Testament. It is God's revelation about himself. It's given to us so that we may know him and his promises and his will and his way. And yet, at the end of the day, you don't know him at all. And they prove it because they have rejected the one whom the Father has sent. 
You search the scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life. Verse number 39. Look at the end of that verse. And the scriptures, it is they that bear witness about me. The whole Bible. He's speaking about the Old Testament. Isn't that remarkable? I know when you go look for a commentary on the New Testament, you find, I mean, there's just world without end commentaries. You go to the Old Testament, it's, it's almost like people forgot it exists because you got two, you know, or three. It's, it's hard to find material. And Jesus is speaking about the Old Testament. He says, don't you see that the Old Testament, the, the Bible that they had should have prepared them. They should have been expecting Jesus, his ministry, his way of life. Everything about him should have been recognizable from the Old Testament. He is found in the Old Testament all throughout it. You might recall Luke after, or in the Gospel of Luke after Jesus' resurrection, Jesus take his disciples through a survey of the Old Testament, tell them everything that the Son of Man must suffer and go through concerning himself. Wouldn't that have been a class to go through? I mean, you just had to walk a little slower. I mean, say that again. Psalms what? Trying to get all these notes down? And yet what you see is Jesus unfolding the Old Testament and revealing what it says about him. And shadows and types and promises and his presence and anticipation veiled and yet sustaining all things. Jesus is found all throughout the Bible. It is all about him, really, if you get down to it. He is the creator. He is the promised seed in Genesis, the second Adam. He is the great I am, the Passover lamb, the rock which water came from, the law keeper, the presence of God among us. He is the sacrifice, the high priest of the people of God. He is the angel of the Lord, the offspring of David, the son of man, king of Israel, the prophet, the suffering servant, the good shepherd, Israel's song, the light unto the Gentiles. And you could go on and on and on. He's saying in all of this that you've searched, you've missed it. You've missed it. And dear church, how blessed we are to be reminded of Peter's words. We have a surer, more sure word, don't we? Not even seeing Jesus through the types and shadows and through the promises and through the anticipation of the Old Testament, but, but clearer. Not truer, and it should be said that. It should be understood. It's not more true in the New Testament than it is the Old Testament. It is the word of God. It is true and infallible. But in the New Testament, we have Jesus declared for us, shown to us who he is and what he's like. And we have him explained to us. And we were reminded at the very end of it that he's coming back for us. Both the Old and New Testament, the complete word of God given to us that we might find Christ and in finding him that we might have everlasting life. It is here in the Bible that we find all three of these witnesses preserved for us, isn't it? John the Baptist, there's no other John the Baptist. We do have human witnesses in our day. Uh, this standing up or, or going out and sharing the gospel and God uses that and God works miraculously through transformed lives. But but in in its truest sense there was john the baptist and, and the miracles all preserved for us here in his word so that you and i as we come to it we might come 
to see something of who he is, understanding him and finding life through him in his word. What a, what a blessing it is to hold in your hand the very word of God. And some of you say, well, that's just your opinion. I mean, you say there's no more miraculous things like that. There's no more John the Baptist. And there's just the word that we have here. Is that enough? Well, I would say there's 5,800 Greek manuscripts today to the extent dating back to the uh, closely to the time these events happened. They were given to us by eyewitnesses. Historically verifiable, true. There was no ill motives from the, from the eyewitnesses to give us his word. And there's many facts that you could say like that to remind us of the trustworthiness of God's word. But even those facts and even all the arguments that you can put together, even the clearest example of who Jesus is, we find still the ability, the relentlessness of unbelief, don't we? You should have known because you have the scriptures and you've searched them and yet you, you don't know the Father and you don't know them. You should have known because John the Baptist was sent from God and told you about me. You should have known because what you see in front of you, and yet they were looking at Moses for their salvation. They were looking for a rule. They were looking at the law. They were looking at what they can do to justify themselves before God. They would refuse to come to Jesus because, well, they knew Moses was sent by God. So after all, let's, let's just follow Moses. And here's one who has all authority to give life, has all authority to judge, and yet he says, don't think that on the day of judgment I'm going to be petty just because you are who you are. In fact, it'll be Moses, your hope, that will stand up against you. Notice what he says here. Verse number 45 do not think I will accuse you to the Father, though he could because he knows them perfectly and clearly. There is one who accuses you, and that is Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe in my word? The very one you're hoping in will stand up against you on the day of judgment and condemn you. Isn't that a, a bold statement? Moses was their hero. Moses was the one they're looking to. And Paul kind of gives us this understanding in Romans chapter number 3 when he says, Now we know that who, whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by worse of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. No human will be justified in his sight, that is the outworking on the purpose of the law. And yet here they come because they have it all together. Because they see themselves as righteous. Because they see themselves as having it together, at least together enough to where everything's going to be all right. We still have that going on in our day, don't we? 
kind of denial of how bad things really are. Notice Jesus speaking of their unbelief in this way. He says, it is evident. Why didn't they see it? Why were they blind to that? It is evident that they didn't know God and his word wasn't in them. They were unwilling to come to Christ. They did not love God or have the love of God in them. And Jesus makes this statement. Look at it with me. Verse number 43. I've come in my Father's name. You don't receive me. If anyone comes in his own name, you will receive him. What is he saying there? He's saying you receive anybody except the one that the Father sends. Now, you're willing to take anybody at their word as long as they flatter you, as long as they build you up a little bit and make you feel better about yourself. And we're like that today, aren't we? We're, we're willing to listen to anybody who pats you on the back a little bit and talks about how good you are, build you up a little bit. And he's saying the problem is, verse number 44, the, the blindness comes from this source of their own pride and arrogance. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from God? They wanted to be somebody. They wanted the praise of men. They wanted to come up and be slapped on the back and said, sir, or respected, or called rabbi, or whatever it was that they wanted. They, their blindness, the rejection of Christ, and the rejection of the gospel is because they kind of liked who they were. They were in love with their own self-image. And when they looked at the law of God, and when they looked at his holiness, even through the Old Testament and, and all the judgment God poured out on sin and idolatry, they come away with a conclusion of nailed it. Or like Paul says in Philippians 3, 6, if you need a biblical word, blameless. They would rather enjoy the flattery from people than to seek that the glory which has come from God, to be in charge, esteemed, praised, and that is the poison, really, that runs counter to coming to Christ. Glory seeking in whatever way it's manifested is blinding and it pushes everything out of the light that crowds you. Why could they not see? Because they were in the way. And why are so many people blinded to the gospel, so unwilling to come to Christ? Because they are in the way themselves. Because of their own self-esteem or their own wants or their own pride or arrogance or whatever it may be, it is, it is continually putting themselves first and, and center and, and justifying themselves and never coming to the true glory which is experienced and that is the glory that comes from God. Isn't that a shameful statement? We would rather have a fleeting praise of someone else to think that we're a good person or think better of us than, than humbly receive the praise and, and, and rejoice in the joyful glory we find in Christ Jesus. He says, how can you believe when you receive the glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God. 
The glory that comes from God is found in Christ. What we read in 2 Corinthians. Let me read that for you. He says, in their case, the God of this world, speaking about the gospel being veiled to those who uh, do not believe. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord with ourselves as your servants. For Jesus is saved for God who has, or who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The glory of God that's found in Jesus Christ is full, satisfying, saving, joyful, humbling glory which we find in dying to self, humbling self. We find in rejoicing not in our own merits, in our own goodness or our own deeds, but rejoicing in the merits and goodness and the deeds and righteousness of Christ. In fact, our glory is, it's fleeting, tarnished, it's, it, it, there's no substance to it. And, and really think about the trade that he is saying that they're unwilling to give up. You're unwilling to give up this fleeting momentary vanity for that which is substance and that which gives life. I think that's an indictment to the American pursuit. But not just the American pursuit, but the world that is without God, searching for glory and fame and substance everywhere other than the place that it can be found in Jesus Christ. He says before these people his own bold declaration that he is divine, he is he is. God's son and in doing that he justifies who he is through these three witnesses reminding us that that if he is who he says he is then you can take his word you can take it for as it is and the times that you are suffering the times that you are going through difficulties in life we come back to the reality because he is who he is because his word is true then then I can trust him and I can put my faith in him and I can lean to him and I can revel in his glory and in his righteousness knowing that I have none of my own it is it is our reward and our confidence and it is the very thing that these men in Jesus's day were willing to pursue showing that though they had the scriptures and though they searched them diligently, they did not know God. You know, I don't know how many Bibles we have, you have in your house. I don't know how many classes you've been to or how many services you've sat in, but it is possible this morning, if you would agree with me. I think this passage tells us that to be so wrapped up in everything going on in the Bible to miss the reality of who God is in the midst of it. And you'll only know him through coming to see him in Jesus Christ. And if you've never done that, I would just encourage you this morning, oh, he is a good Savior. And he says, all who come to me, he will no wise cast out. It is a glory we have to put down, a tainted glory of vanity, pride and arrogance that we put away to receive and to rejoice in that joyful 
and glory which found in Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. The Bible says that they that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, and I would just encourage you to even do that this morning as we go to the word, Lord, in prayer. Bow with me. Father, we thank you for this time we've gathered together. Thank you for your word and the reminder of the faithfulness of who you are, how you have proven Christ's uh, mission and ministry and person over and over through your word and how that very word in which you reveal him to us is in itself life-giving. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word and we're just so thankful. How could we ever know you unless you spoke, unless you invite us in to know you? So thankful that you have and we pray that even this morning that maybe one here or others here would would experience what we read in Second Corinthians 4, where you speak in their hearts, let there be light. And in that light, that they might see the glory of Christ, your glory in the face of Jesus Christ. I pray for each of us here as believers, that we, we again are strengthened in our faith and as we look at our Savior through this gospel, reminding us not only not only what's going on in this context, but the whole scope of your word and the trustworthiness of the promises that you have given to us in it. In Jesus' name, amen.